Internets, I want to put you on to a sponsor that is doing amazing things, okay? Listen, if I tell you about something, it's because I think that it's, it's the way of the future. It's the way we evolve and, and invest in money. And I want to introduce you to Rally Road. I have the co-founder with me, Rob, here. Rob, listen, why don't you explain to the Internets what is Rally Road and how they can get involved and, and why, why, why should they get involved? For sure. I appreciate it, man. So... Rally Road is an app where we take really high-value assets that have shown really big returns over the last 10, 15, 20 years, and we turn them into stock. So what that means is we take something like a classic car, which is the first asset class that we're launching with. We turn it into a stock similar to investing in Apple or IBM or Nike. Where we break it up into shares. We put a value on it, and we let you buy shares in that, in that what is essentially a small company with no commissions, uh, no fees, no management fees, nothing along the way. And we let you have access to an asset class that the rich have made money off for a really long time. Things like real estate, things like art, things like classic cars. But we let you get in without any minimums. And we let you have the sort, sort of the same access that they would have that a lot of people haven't for a long time. So mm. it's all in the app right now. The idea is to democratize all asset classes, all alternative asset classes. So you have something like a um, like Lamborghini Countach from the 80s. Or you have a Ferrari Testarossa from, the, from like the, the late 80s or early 90s. You have these cars that have shown 300, 400, 500% returns. But there's really been no way in other than buy the whole vehicle. So what we do is we basically turn that car into a small company, and it becomes investable the same way you would buy stock. So we run it through the SEC, the same way our regular stock goes public. Um, all the deposits are FDIC insured. Uh, everything's done within the mobile app and on our website. So we go to rallyrd.com. You'll be able to log in, create your account. You see all the vehicles that we have. You have 1980s Lamborghinis. You got 1990s Ferraris. You got some of the newer stuff, BMWs that are like one of 10 or one of 20 that ever made. And it lets you invest at a share price that's really accessible. So you're talking about $50 a share, $60 a share. And that becomes your equity in the vehicle. So you actually own a piece of it. So as that vehicle appreciates, as new cars come to market that are kind of similar and bring more attention to it, as auction results come back and as those cars sell for these exorbitant amounts of money, you have access to that car and to that asset class. Sure. You know, we spoke about, uh, you know, sneakers, and we both love sneakers, and we both love sure. streetwear. We both love cars, too. But in this day and age, it's about investing in something. So not only, you know, you wear the sneakers. Like, I get it, too. Like, I love sneakers all my life, but you wear them, and then they're dogged, and then they're gone. But in this case, you're saying it's like having a stock of, you know, of a piece of, of something that you love, too, something that, 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 that you know, that value. Yeah, for sure. It's not, it becomes different. It's not like buying the Nike. It's like, it's like having what's in Phil Knight's wallet. It's like having access to the company, to the thing, having true equity in it. And everything we're trying to do and what we're trying to preach is this democratization of these asset classes that the super rich have always had access to. But it's that secret handshake thing, and it's coming to the table with 20 and 30 and $40 million. And that's just not, that's not normal. That's not something that everybody can do. But the same way you would buy, you know, you'd spend 150 bucks, 160 bucks on a pair of on a pair of Jordans. You can sure. take that same money. You have true equity in this asset that's shown really, really strong returns over time, and that's also super interesting too. So you see, you know, uh, an '85 Ferrari in in a, in a in a motorsport video, or you see sort of Jay Z and Beyonce sitting on top of a Lamborghini truck in intro for their for the new album, and that now is like a thing. It's just, it's got a lot of cultural relevance and social relevance. It's got a strong history of returns, and it's just a really, really interesting thing to be involved in. That's also complementing what you normally do, what you spend your money on normally. So put a little money away isn't the worst thing. Putting into something that potentially appreciates in value that has a lot of relevance is also important too. Now it could be found on the um, Apple would be Yeah, so it's in the App Store right now. So you search Rally R D in the App Store. You can go to rallyroad.com, rallyrd.com. You get all the information about every one of these vehicles. The app's completely free. There's no commissions. 
Uh, there's no fees that we charge along the way. We're really trying to democratize this asset class and, and bring something brand new to investors. Mm. Internet, make sure you be smart, okay, and, and think of a new way of investing, okay? This ain't no, uh, if, if I ever gave you advice, okay, if I ever told you to, uh, you know, invest in yourself or, or, or find things that uh, appreciate so you could take care of yourself and your family, this is one of them. Rallyroad.com. Go check it out. Cheer. Microphone check one, two. Yes, yes, yes. Before we get to this episode, I want to shout out everybody who listened to last week's episode with the one and only Sandler Francois, the divorce professional. Let me tell you something. As being somebody who's been divorced, and I, I mean, I, I personally love that episode. And Internet's emailed me, DM, tweet. Man, I've seen all the people. Like, It's funny how like when you have an episode that people could relate to, people who are going through issues with their better half or, you know, have children and the child support or the prenup or the divorce and, you know, just marriage and how he dropped so many gems, not just about divorce, just about like, you know, what they do at his business called Premier Paralegal. But more importantly, like, you know, what to do about child support, how, you know, how like we have to learn how to love and not lust and, you know, just divorce, like divorce rate is 55%. I keep on saying that that's crazy. The divorce rate is 55%. Internet, listen, okay, learn how to love somebody first, okay? Learn how to, like, get along with each other and fuck with each other and find yourself a partner before you get married. Motherfuckers want to throw a big party, spend 100000 live in an apartment, and be divorced by the next year. Maybe they did it for the gram. Don't do that. Don't do that. Especially when there's kids involved. That's the hardest part. That was the hardest part for me. I, I, I despise that I had to be a separated dad, that it didn't work. You know, I wanted to stay there. But unfortunately, if it's a toxic relationship between you and your partner, you don't want the kids to be involved in that. And, you know, at the end of the day, my daughter's 18, and I'm proud uh, to say that we had a great relationship, you know. But I do say I remember those days, and getting divorced, especially with children, was a very tough time for me. You know, I remember going to pick up my daughter on Fridays and being so happy and then dropping her off on Sundays. And as, as as I drove away, I had tears in my eyes. But I do want to say anybody out there, I, I love how this episode did touch a couple of people. Uh, pause. But it actually, you know, people email me and DM'd and, and like I was saying. So, you know, look, if you're in the mix, if you're in the mud with that, uh, stay strong and know that it's for the kids. Don't lose your mind, uh, man or woman. You know, stay stay focused and understand that. Your kids are the most important thing. And, you know, and, and hopefully one day if, it, if it's not working out between you and her and you're separated, it will. OK, as long as you, you can stay peaceful. You know, I think that's the most important thing. If you get divorced and you don't have no kids, <laughs> sayonara. See each other. You don't have to worry about it. Just don't follow each other on social media and say peace. But listen, Internet, if you haven't checked out last week's episode with Sandler Francois, the divorce professional, put that on your to do list. Trust me. OK, and listen, I will say this before we get into this week's episode. I, I, I want to shout out Internets Worldwide, but I do have a news announcement. I will be in Atlanta. That's right. Internets. I will be at A3C Festival October 4th to October 7th. OK, if you're there, if you're going to be there, if you're close, hit me. OK, if you see me out there and you don't know me, don't don't be, listen. Come up to the kids, say what's up, okay? Tell me tell me what good food spots are out there. I mean, I've been out to Atlanta so many times, but if you know about a good food spot that I don't, let me know. Internet's A3C Festival. I'll be on a panel on Friday. If you're there, check for me. Come say what up to the kid. Blessings to you and your family. If you're not, I'll see you in your town soon. But more importantly, I will be in Atlanta, okay? So I want to let Internet's know that. Now, you know what it is. Before we get into the episode, I'm going to say, open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show. Let me know where the fuck, look, 
check the fucking. Let me know where you're listening from. If you you know, internet's worldwide, man. I love I love that internet's are living you know, listening from Tokyo. I love that, you know, they're listening from Melbourne, Australia, London and and, and uh, you know, Shanghai and, and listen, okay? And then of course obviously in the US all over. And I love that each week you never know who's gonna be on. And, you know, more importantly, you know, you look at it and you say to yourself, is it an entrepreneur, is it an athlete, is it an artist? You know, that's what I always wanted to be, a tell a friend to tell a friend. You know, if, if we're not doing that, then what the fuck are we doing, okay? But I already told you I'm going to be at A3C. I already told you about last week's episode, how special it is. If you haven't seen it, make sure you put it on your to-do list. And, and I do want to say this, too. Internet, stop comparing. Too many people are comparing. I see this all the time. I speak to people. You know, internet. if you're going through something or you have uh, something you want to tell me, I always say this, and I mean this, and I'll get back to you. Email me at thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. Again, that's thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. If you have a podcast, I always told you, you know, if, if you're going through something, if you're a father or a mother or going through something with your kids or, you know, being that I've been divorced and I've been a separated dad almost 18 years, anything I can help you with, the podcast game, the food game, the business game, the sneaker game, the streetwear game, because nobody's going to put me in a fucking box. It's not going to happen. And nobody has to put you in a box, okay? But I don't even want to say no more. I want to say, Antonis, love y'all. If you ever appreciated anything, you know, uh, that you heard over the years from me, especially from the Premium Pete Show, okay, then subscribe, rate, and tell a friend to tell a friend. This week's episode is with the one and only Bay Area's finest, Burner. Man, first of all, shout out to my brother Steve LaBelle. Uh, thanks for putting this together. But more importantly, I love the, Bernard did a press run um, and he has an album out and he has cookies, SF, and he has cookies all over the place, the clothing brand, the dispensaries. Listen, the dude to me is 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 killing the cannabis game. OK, and I love seeing people who came from a humble beginning and, and really, you know, was trying to hustle and now could do what they really know how to do. Legit. OK, and he spits and he's a good dude. And I'll be honest with you, bro. He gave some of the, that, that Matty Juwan to a couple of people in my team, my crew, and that's some of the best shit they ever smoked, they said. Okay? Internets, let me tell you something. He told me himself, I don't say this for a lot of questions, a lot of things we went over, he's never been asked before. Okay? If you fuck with Burner, and why not? He's a good guy. Okay? He got the cookies. He got the gelato. He got that limoncello. Okay? If you fuck with Burner from the Bay Area, okay? We'll probably be worldwide soon. Okay? This is the episode you need to listen to. And if you fuck with it that much, send it to a friend. Send it to your cousin. Send it to your aunt. Internets, without no more, okay? No more to say. I present to you the burner episode of the Premium Pete Show. Let's get to it. Cheer. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the undisputed voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Cork McClan, Internets. It's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go, Internets. Let's turn up one time, Premium Pete. Come on, everybody, get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to the Show cause milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the Premium Pete Show. Internet, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Sitting here with one of the Bay Area's finest, man. Uh, wait, wait, hold up. Before you even say anything, okay? <laughs> I, I'm gonna call you a. a um, I'm gonna call you a cannabis. Uh, I want to say guru, but I even want to say uh, like a, a, a cannabis capo, okay, or a cannabis boss. I like that a lot. Actually. An artist. 
yeah. An entrepreneur. Mogul. A father. Mogul. Yeah. Look at that thing. Yeah. Mogul. Internet's burners in the building. Burner, man. Th- thanks for stopping by, man. Man, I appreciate you having me, man. For real, for real. You know, before we even came on, uh, you know, we were talking. And it's funny, like, I, we were talking about, like, you know, accent. And I was telling you that, you know, I'm Italian, but I grew up in Coney Island. I'm not one of those fist pumper Guido type dudes. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and and you were mentioned about that. Sometimes you wish you were from New York because, well. You know, I just, my favorite movies, uh, you know, being uh, Bronx Tale mm, and Goodfellas. Mm. And, you know, because I'm real into the mafia lifestyle. And I just love the way the guys talk out here. You know what I'm saying? And. And actually getting high with, like, New York stoners, like, their accents just trip me out. Like, there's, when they they emphasize the way they feel a lot through their accents. So as a kid, you know, watching those movies, I always kind of wish I was out here and shit. You know, you know what's crazy? I never realized I had an accent until uh, I moved out to Jersey. Mm. Or even when I eat, well, two times. Uh, when, I, when I went on vacation and, and I remember a girl saying, like, damn, I love your accent. I was in, like, Dominican Republic and she was, like, mm-hmm. a European girl. And I was like, and I exactly answered, like, what fucking accent? And she was like, right there. And I never knew. And then even being from, like, you know, being in Jersey now, people, they're like, oh, you're from New York, right? And I'm like, damn, I never knew that was, like, an accent. It's real. It's a real accent. Me and my boys practice a lot. We we always, you know, like I said, wish we was from the NY, you know. But mm. uh, it's it's an interesting accent, and uh, it's very strong. If you Yeah, if you never realized it, if you came to California, you'd realize it real quick. What's a Bay Area? Like, what's, what's a Bay Area accent? Like, what is that about? Um, if you had to say one. Well, Bay Area accent would be more slang. Like, they'd say a lot of, you feel me, hella, you know what I'm talking about, you know what I mean? They talk real quick. They use their hand gestures a lot. Mm. Um, people use, oh, why you move your hands like that when you talk? And you, it's just the Bay Area is more a body language, not an accent. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, for people listening who may not even know who Burner is, I'm going to take them back for a second. Please. Uh, you know, you were born in the Bay Area? San Francisco, yeah. Okay. Born, which born which I was saying has the best, to me, has the best food. Especially Thai food. Mm, mm. Okay, Internet, you, you see that. So when you go to San Francisco, you make sure you go visit Cookies. We'll get into that, but you also make sure you get some Thai food. Gotcha. There's a Cookies in, 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 in San Francisco, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. We'll get into that in a second. So you grow up, um, mom and dad? Yeah, mom and dad. Um, actually in a suburb um, next to San Francisco called Daly City. Mm. And my dad's restaurant was in the city. What type of restaurant? <clears throat> Mexican restaurant. Okay, nice. So yeah. you're Mexican? Yeah, Mexican and Italian. Okay, nice, nice. Forget about um, it. Yeah, forget about it. You know, fucking, you know mm. what I mean? What, what could I fucking say? Uh, you know, somebody sent me a picture the other day of Mexican lasagna. I was like, oh, easy. That could be real great. Yeah. <laughs> <I can laughs> or, or that could be real bad. It could, <laughs> it could be great coming in and bad coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so, so Pops owned the restaurant. Yeah, Pops owned the restaurant and, um, and, you know, growing up as, growing up as a kid, it was, it was really cool because, um, I was in Daly City, but would travel to the city with Pops and be able to experience his restaurant and, and be in the city. It was right in the heart of the city too. Um, and we were, we were in Daly City until about, um, what was it? Fifth grade. Mm. And then, uh, in sixth grade. Pops was supposed to open up a restaurant in um, Arizona, and me and my mom had traveled ahead, and she had caught him cheating back home, and he didn't end up coming. So we stayed in Arizona, sixth grade. Um, And from sixth grade to my senior year in high school, where I ended up dropping out, I'd get in trouble, and I would go back and forth from AZ to Frisco. Mm. And you so mean, you mean staying with your mom and dad? Yeah, like so I would be, um, I had sixth, seventh, and eighth grade all in Arizona. 
And I learned a lot of bad things out there. Arizona is not the place that people painted to be. Mm. What um, would you say you learned? I learned the drug game in Arizona mm. at a young age, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, learning about that shit. You know, I come from the Bay Area. You know, people were, oh, you're from San Francisco. Are you, what, are you gay? All the gays are out there. And just, you know, it was just, it was weird. It was like a very judgmental, um, weird place after coming from San Francisco. You know what I mean? Mm. But I hung around some kids that, you know, a lot of Latins in Arizona. And, you know, it's right there by Tucson, which is right by Mexico. And Arizona's one of the biggest drug hubs in the world. So I learned a lot of shit young. I learned it in Arizona. And um, when I got into ninth grade, 10th grade, right around 10th grade, I started getting in trouble in Arizona because of what I was learning. And I was sent back to stay with my pops. And it was just like, uh, you know, mom and pops ran two different households. So when I was with my mom, you know, I had a lot more eyes on me, even though I was getting in trouble and, and experimenting with drugs and selling drugs and doing whatever I was doing at that age. You know, she 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 ran a, a strong household. And then when I ended up getting sent to the Bay Area, my mom was fine. Like, I've had it. You're a knucklehead. You need to go stay with your dad. It was the craziest shit ever. You know, what did moms do? Mom was a headhunter. Okay. Really? So, like, she would, her job would be, like, a big company to say, I want a 25-year-old Latin American um, from this area with this amount of experience to Okay, come. you mean, like, job job headhunter. Yeah, yeah okay, she had her own I. company. She worked I thought for she was herself. whacking people out, you know? No, nah, nah, maybe on the side time, you know what I mean? But uh, she was... Um, she was definitely good at it, and I learned. That's why I think now that I look back at it, and I got the tattoo of Mom's rest in peace on rest my arm with her, with her on the phone. I watched her um, talk to people she never met and make them fall in love with her in a way that they would trust that this job, you know, switch or this lifestyle that she's convincing people to move from different places wasn't, you know, it was a very strong talent to be able to get on the phone with somebody and. Get them to catch your vibe and to to trust you know your you know your whole your whole pitch and to, to get someone to switch their lifestyle their job and where they live is is pretty crazy. You know, one of the hardest things for a lot of people to do is grow up. Yeah, you know, and uh, it, it's crazy because I feel like you 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 carry yourself like you you've been here and and you've been, <laughs> and you've been there. You know, and and where do you even think that even <clears throat> stems from? You know, I think that uh, I think that like. When my mom got sick and I played like a, you know, I, I did the hospice thing with her and and I watched her, you know, pass away in front of me. And from something like cancer, it made me really open up my eyes to the world and what the world's all about. And, you know, I'm a big conspiracy guy and started thinking that, like, life is very short and you got to experience this and the extra hanging out shit and the drinking and the partying and all the shit I might have been a part of is just all bullshit. You know what I'm saying? And. When my mom passed away, my kid was three, and um, a big eye opener for for me as an adult to be like, okay, well she's gone. The only other person that could take care of my daughter or raise her the way I would, with the the love I would give her, would be my mom. And if she's gone, then I got to step up to the plate and never jeopardize my freedom or, you know, and I have to put myself in a position to take care of my family without the other shit. So I think I just kind of grew up fast when that happened. But I've always. I've always worked, man. I got my first job at 13 and mm-hmm. lied about how old Doing I was. Um, my first job was at a place called Oscars. It was like a kind of like a pizza type place. I was mm-hmm. passing out breadsticks in front of the movie theater. And 
Then I got moved to a bus boy. I got employed a month. I was making all kind of tips as a bus boy. You know what I'm saying? And they found out my age and had to let me go. They're like, man, you employed a month. You know, you're, you're killing it, but we got to let you go. I'm like, all right. I went and lied and got another job. Mm. Um, I actually never really, I don't think I ever said this on any interview, but I went to Wendy's. <laughs> really? Lied about my age and worked there because they had a sign-up bonus. And I always just liked to work, man. And uh, mm. from, I had a bunch of random jobs, actually. Young, though. What were you doing with the money? <laughs> Buying weed. At that age? Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well. Yeah. So, putting, who, who, go ahead, what you say? Putting it all into weed. Or selling it? Or smoking it, too? Well, see, when you're at that age and you're you're innocent and you're young, you're selling weed just to be able to smoke for free. mm I get that, it. That's that's at that age. That's what I was doing it for. I remember doing some of that shit. Thank God I didn't do the next shit uh, that I got involved in, or else I, I I wouldn't be here today. Yeah, no, nah, I feel that that other shit's dark too. You I know, was, you, you speak about mom and you speak about dad and and, and, and all the jobs that you had. You mm-hmm. know, and like I said, you know, you speak about like you've been here, like you carry yourself like you belong. You know what I mean? Right and, on. and that you know you have some history and years behind you. You know, it, 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 when did you even get put on to weed? Like, was it Arizona or when did you? When's the first time you ever smoked weed? <laughs> so in Arizona, my friends' brothers were all like, mm, I wouldn't say cartel, but like Mexican bosses, okay. low riders, gold, sure. motherfucking big weed Pato bales. Locos. Yeah, and in Arizona, people are buying weed by the bale. Mm. So like, you'd have whole rooms full of weed. And as young kids, we just go pull pull it off, pull it off the the block of you know the bale. We go pull off a fucking chunk, put it in the shower room, like in the in the bathroom, trying to shower, and then um, would like kind of like come apart. It would just kind of like you know it was so compressed or whatnot. First time I tried it was in Arizona, my boys, and uh, we uh, rolled it up in a Walgreens receipt. We didn't know what papers were and then, and uh, we smoked that shit. And I was like, I don't feel it, man. I want more. So we we smoked another one, and then we like, man, I don't really feel it. And then we ate, we ate like regular weed just by itself. And first time was in uh, sixth grade in Arizona. Yeah. What did you feel? Did you feel like stone hungry? Well, we went to Burger King, and I got three whoppers, and I that was, <laughs> I, I got French fries, and I put sugar in my ketchup. So I was definitely stoned. Oh, Everyone was shit. like, what are you doing putting sugar in the ketchup? I'm like, I don't know, but this shit is bomb. It's like salty and sweet at the same time. Do you think that weed, obviously it's stronger now, um, but, you know, when you smoke back then, do you still get that same type of high today, or is it different? In different environments. So, if, like, I'm somewhere I'm not comfortable or I just got there, a different city or state, if I hit the weed, it might get me, like, that uncomfortable, like, first, like, time I smoke really, really good weed type high, but, yeah, otherwise. You know, somebody like me, it's funny, like, you know, I smoke... Uh, you know, I haven't smoked. Well, I did smoke twice in the past, like say twenty years. But uh, it's funny because I stopped smoking weed when I was eighteen. I started wow. when I was thirteen, and I loved it smoking back then. You know, this is many years ago. But uh, you know, I got high. I remember making the. Uh, um, I remember getting the munchies. You know, I was laughing. I remember making the uh, biscuits, like the Pillsbury biscuits, oh, so and nice. putting them in the toaster oven and melt yeah. them cheese, like Ameri- yellow American cheese, yeah. with a little bit of butter. Oh, and wow. and uh, it, it was the best thing in the world. When I went and smoked later on, I was paranoid, and I started bugging out. Like, yeah, I'm not, I, I, like, like, and people didn't understand. Like, I remember the the. I'll never forget. Rest in peace, my brother Sean Price. 
um, recipes Sean Price yeah. too. I Sean Price, him, yeah. yeah, Sean Price is funny. I remember he was messing with edibles one time in Cali. I wonder if it, he, he ever met him out there. Well, he, he reached out to me before. Yeah, mm-hmm. he wanted to get some herb. Yeah, yeah. I never got a chance to meet him, but you know, recipes. Oh, uh, I would have loved. He's 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 a he's a super G. But more importantly, I remember uh, you know, I, I, we went to the studio. I picked him up, and then I couldn't bring him home because. I was sitting on the couch and the, sh- and the whole room was spinning, mm-hmm. and I just felt uncomfortable. <coughs> Do you think this like wh- why is that happening to somebody? I mean, it happens to me, and mm-hmm. I'm 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 a big pothead. I smoked every day since I was in sixth grade, damn near. I don't, I mean, every day, and you know, I think th- I went to the doctor before th- before this. Um, I used to do a lot of coke. I don't mm-hmm. talk about it a lot, but when I was bartending at eighteen. I did a lot of coke, man. I did a lot of coke, and, and I was drinking crazy alcohol. And is there, a re- you know, is there a reason why, you know, you, I mean, were you doing it just to get high, or you just weren't like, you know, sometimes like for the coke? Yeah, I was young, and the bartender scene and the restaurant business. I mean, motherfuckers party, and especially bartending. Like, you're getting drunk all night. You want to balance it out, and I saw tonight I had the Cubans putting keys, key shots in my nose, and mm-hmm. so. It was just, it was a crazy time in life. Um, but when I stopped doing coke is when my daughter was about to be born. I almost overdosed off that shit. And um, it was a big eye-opener. So I stopped doing coke. And when I stopped doing coke, I hit the weed, and it brought me back to that overdose mind state where my heart was beating. And I was like, what the fuck? And I kept on trying to smoke weed, and my tolerance was low as fuck. And I'm like, bro, I've been smoking weed every day since I was in sixth grade. So oddly enough, I went to the doctor and asked him, why is weed making me paranoid? What the fuck happened? And the doctor said, for people that smoke weed for a long time in life, you reach a point where it gives you the complete opposite effect of what it used to give you. Mm. And it makes you paranoid and, and it fucks with you. And she was a gangster for telling me this. If you just keep with it, it'll go away. It'll go back mm. to normal. I'm like, is it like a weed midlife crisis or something? Like, what the <laughs> fuck? But I get paranoid too sometimes, and I mean, fuck, it's just because the shit's strong, and I think it's because we have a lot on our mind. Like, I don't know if you're, you know, sure, you seem sure. like you're like me. You sure. work, you're very passionate about your work, you think a lot. And so when you're younger, there's nothing to think about. Sure, you're trying sure. to get laid and sure. have fun. But when you're older and you have real business and you have a family and you have, you have things that that really run through your mind. Sometimes you smoke weed and it triggers that mind to go crazy. You know, you speak about having a daughter, and your daughter is how old now? She's 11. So, you know, I have an 18-year-old and I have a 3-year-old son. Um, you know, it's funny when you speak about, I remember, it doesn't matter where you're from in this world. I remember hustling and saying, I got to do whatever I got to do for my family, not realizing that you could leave them from that. You know Oh, I mean? yeah, for multiple different ways. You can be killed, put in jail, sure. um, you know, all kinds of shit. So You know, and, and, and it's funny how, you know, so it's like seeing you, especially you, I think this is there's so many things inspiring about you, but particularly that you have a legit business now. Yeah. You know, we'll get into the, we're going to get right into the artistry, but more importantly, you have a legit business now that at one point in time could have, could you know, could have landed you in places you didn't want to be. And now it's like you, you're really, I, I feel like, um, you know, people who don't know, you know, who may not know who you are. Like, I feel like you're somebody who is like really like opening many, many doors in this, in this cannabis business. Yeah, it's crazy to think where it's at now and the amount of freedom that and stress that came. Like, I risked my freedom for a long time, and I still have flashbacks from the stress of, of the game because the game is shady. And it's funny because 
even though I'm not risking going to jail now, the stress from the legal weed game is just as bad, if not worse, than the, the underground. I heard you say that. I heard you say that the legal weed game is shady also. Oh what does that God. even mean for people who may not even know what you're talking about? I mean, look, you got, um, first of all, you got everyone trying to recreate things that have been built organically, which are brands and strains of weed and how they got popular. People are trying to recreate that. So a lot of, a lot of like, I don't want to say biting because that's in every business, but okay. Um, how can I say this without getting myself caught up? People just, um, not nah, like, cause okay, I'm in a, a particular situation with a group. So let's just give an example. Let's say hypothetically, I might've licensed something out to somebody at one point and from licensing it to that person, they were able to build a business. They were able to gain momentum to raise money, 60 to $100 million, mm. um, able to use everything that, that I brought to the table in a licensing deal, let's say if I did that way. And then when it comes time to go public or to receive a huge buyout, immediately fuck you, get you out of the contract. But not only get you out of the contract, but do things to still claim that you're involved and that that this deal is with you involved, but but you're not involved. And so it's a lot of mind game fuckery shit um, when it comes to that big bread. Also, too, you got a lot of big business people um, that are buying up all the licenses, buying up all the grows, and just pushing culture out. And the rat race to get to the top or to be one of the brands that's on these shelves in the future, is it's pretty intense. And people, they will do anything to get you out the way. You know, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, I heard uh, your episode that you did on The Breakfast Club, and I thought it was dope. Um, you know, shouts to Charlemagne and Envy and Angela. But uh, it's funny because I was like, damn, people were, like, really upset that you only did about 14 minutes. I was like, okay, well, uh, he comes on to Premium Peach, we're going to have to give the Burner fans, uh, you know, some, some backstory of, of a big burn. I think there's uh, a lot that motherfuckers want to hear that we didn't really get a chance to address. And it's just um, a lot of business, a lot of music, a lot of um, cool stories. And, yeah, people were – they were juiced for me to be on there, but maybe a little upset that we didn't address certain things, but – it, I think so, it was great. Yeah, it was definitely great. I I enjoyed it, and I think that it's good that people want more. Trust me. It, That's it, all I kept saying. It, it's good that people want more. I was telling Steve LaBelle, I said, the fact that all these comments are saying, why only 14 minutes was a great signing moment. Like, Damn, they want to hear from you, boy, you know? <laughs> Let me tell you, that is like some like uh, un, unplanned promotion. Like, yeah, no, it's actually... And I wonder if like producers see that shit, or if they're like, Damn, that this 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 one guy that we knew nothing yeah. about who and I did no post or nothing about go to their page or just organic people I didn't even know knew who I am or up there like what the fuck we want to hear more I was like oh this shit's tight well, next time they come back on give, give them that more time uh, but more <laughs> importantly I love what you said on there about there's a program and we're talking about risking our life we're talking about mm-hmm. being there for our kids and you have a program that, that that's what's dope so you have you have multiple shops or what are they called uh, out there uh, dispensaries dispensaries right yeah. but more importantly what you're doing for the community or, or, or what you could do for people who've been what, what, locked up because of it? Yeah, Explain so, to them that. so basically, let's, and my bad for the sniffle and the little cough. That's all good. I got me a little kizzo, but, you know, we don't stop working no matter what. Um, but basically, picture this. Um, you want to open up a store in, let's say, uh, Queens. Okay. And the people will pass a law that if you're going to open up a store in this neighborhood, 
then you got to grab people that have been convicted of a crime and make them your partner. They got to be on your license. They have to be your partner in this this store, this grow. It's called an equity program. Um, and they have that in, in the Bay Area and California and um, in Los Angeles. And so basically, um, most of these bigger companies are coming into these neighborhoods and they're looking at it as a publicity stunt. Um, they're grabbing these people um, to get the licenses because they need the licenses. But they're short stopping the fuck out of them. So they're like, yo, here's a grand a month or here's 25000 Let me put your name on this license. And what I've been trying to preach is fuck that. Take your equity, you know, take your equity, really, 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 really take advantage of you being a partnership in a cannabis company because one day these things are going to be, you know, there's only going to be so, so many of them. But then I took it a step further and I, and my friend Felix from Gas House, um, he has a company called Gas House. He's from Atlanta. I think it's one of the first, like, it is one of the first reputable, fully black owned and staffed cannabis companies. Mm. And he was asking me for advice. Like, Burn, like, what should I do? I don't want to put myself in that box. And I said, nah, dog, you need to embrace that box. And more importantly, um, I plan on rolling up a bunch of companies with cookies to to mm. create a portfolio company that could be, you know, invested in heavily and, and be that one, that, that big-ass company. Mm. I said, if I get involved in Gas House, here's what I want to do. I want to take some money. I want to take this building in Oakland you have at your hands. I want to get those big-ass shipping containers that you see on the boats. And I want to find people in Oakland where that's where his business is and the Bay Area that qualify for the equity program. And I want to put them in these shipping containers, and I want to build out a grow, and I want to find them genetics that they can grow, and I want to help them build their brand. Mm. So everything from providing the grow space, providing the plants to grow, providing the knowledge on um, you know, trademarking your logo and packaging, manufacturing, distribution, um, all that shit. I want to be able to do these for, for these brands because no one else is going to do it. Everyone else is going to take advantage of them. And the reason why I, I, I feel, like, so passionate about it is because I could have been one of them. Sure. I could have been in jail. I've been fortunate enough to be in jail yet. I've never been in jail. I don't ever plan on going to jail. But for th- for for this business, it's important to keep people that risk their freedom or already got caught up doing it because that's the only reason why weed is popular. Sure. Sure. If motherfuckers weren't sending packs out of town or if cats weren't selling weed, then there would never be this demand for weed and therefore we wouldn't be legal. You know, I forgot who said it, but I had someone on here that said it's crazy how we're sitting in like, you know, if you say 80s was a crack era, right? Especially yeah. in New York City. Uh-huh. But if you say 80s, like right now it has to be the biggest, uh, you know, biggest times and moments for weed. Like meaning like it's almost it's getting legalized everywhere. Almost everyone smokes. It's not that it's not shamed upon like how mm-hmm. sometimes it was. Um, it, I mean, you, to me, you're like on the forefront of this. It's not even just weed. It's like the, prohibition was the only other thing to compare to where you're living in a society where something has been outlawed and it's been it's illegal. And now it's becoming legal and it's happening in front of us and it's going state by state. And it's crazy as fuck. Like, mm. when does that ever happen? Like, it's crazy. You know, when you were growing up in the Bay Area, uh, were you, in, you listening to New York artists or Bay Area artists? Like, who, who were you listening to? Because, you know, obviously for people who don't know, which is crazy, we'll get into, you got 31 albums. I don't, <laughs> even, I don't even know what the fuck that means. <laughs> How someone can have 31 albums. Yeah. But I, 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 I listen to your shit and I like it. And it's funny, when we were walking in here, 
I was like, oh, I'm sure because you're an entrepreneur and a business guy, sometimes people may not even take you serious, oh, yeah. music serious. Talk they, don't about want, that. they don't even want to take the time to look into it. They look at me like, oh, he's just a weed guy. This motherfucker just sells weed. They just want to be around him for the weed. Um, not true. I'm a fan of music, and, and the reason why I make music is because I'm a fan. And I don't need the music. Um, I don't need it. I just do it because I love it. True. And I feel like anytime you do something you're passionate about, it'll be tight. And so I've created a really dope lane with it, and um, I used a lot of the Barry influence that I grew up listening to. You know what I'm saying? Three Times Crazy, uh, Mac Dre, Mac Maul, mm. JT the Bigger Figure, the Jacker, um, San Quinn, mm. uh, Rapping Folk Tale, a lot of that, that Barry and Mob shit. Um, I keep that influence on my music today. Um, but I also listen to a lot of East Coast artists too and just was a fan of just hip-hop in general. Mm. And... I get a kick out of like putting artists I grew up listening to on the type of beats, bringing them to my world. That sample driven, true. Yeah, it's just like what is burner? Like what is where does that come from? Graffiti. Mm, okay, graph. Yeah. Okay, nice, yeah. nice. Okay. Used to tag. Nah, I can't do like your last pieces. Burner right. one. Just bur- burner oneer. We used to one put the er. Yeah, er. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Burner though, just burner by itself. You know, I was in. I was with a couple crews in the back. Krylon Rustolium. Um, I like the scribe. I like I like the streakers. Mm, I like mm, you know mm. my my spray can game was fat okay. Cap. Fat cap for sure. Is mm. I could work the fat cap real nice, but I was one of them dudes that used them ultras and the ultra mini. And I always hit the rooftop. I'd be the one having enough balls to put the big old B, the E, the or the walk down is what we call it. And each little block of the bus, I'd have a big ass letter. Mm. So I got to rush out of that back in the days. You know, you, you, your first time, now, was that your name, Burner? Was that straight up what it was, like, always, or you had, like, a couple names beforehand? Oh, man, you're going to get the exclusive because you're asking good questions. Um, so my first name was um, Burster. Burst. <laughs> Burst was the, because the, I like the way the B and the U and the R and the S and the T flowed. And my homie's name was Burner. And... He was, like, from Hunter's Point, which is, like, a crazy neighborhood in San Francisco. And he was going through some crazy times. The kid would show up drunk to school and be fighting and stealing and, you know, just wilding out hard. And he he got saved um, and became Christian. And mm. I was like, look, I'm going to retire the burner name. Mm. I said, well, he said, I'm not doing the graph no more. I'm not smoking or drinking. I said, well, what about the burner name? It's the hardest name ever. I said, I'm cool. I said, can I pick it up? It's like, man, as long as you don't get yourself in trouble. And, you know, he was preaching to me. He was real, you know, religious at the time. So I said, fuck it, burst, sound whack. Well, I'm running with burner. And um, it just, it just, that's how I got the name, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever told anybody that. That's crazy. Is he still around? Um, I've heard that, I heard that he's around. Um, I haven't seen from him or heard from him, but, uh, Shout out to my boy David, man. I was in I was in one of those programs at school where um it's called uh what was it called? Uh, Go Ape. It was when you're fucking up in school so bad they put you with a bunch of troubled kids and you learn how to communicate and how to work more than you do about regular school shit. So I was in that program with him and it was really interesting. They take ten inner city kids or twenty inner city kids and they put them in a group and they say, Listen, you guys are gonna go camping for a week. Mm. And you have to design your menu um, for your food and what you're going to need. And you guys can take the time during these class hours to do so. Or you can fuck off. But 
you're going to be the ones paying the price when you go on this camping trip. No one took it seriously, really. I mean, I came up with my my recipe. So these kids that from rival neighborhoods and different nationalities and different genres and, and whatnot all go on this camping trip together. And you have to cook for yourselves. You have to walk X amount of miles a day. We're inner city cats. And it was probably one of the craziest experiences of my life. Because on day two, or day three it was, out of seven, all we had was pita bread and peach jelly. Mm. That was it. It's and, like you were in the box in uh, jail. And it was crazy. Because, you know, motherfuckers weren't used to the outdoor life. You had to take a shit and wipe your ass with leaves and fucking... You know, there was someone shadowing the group while we moved, but we had a map and we had to end goal and a start and a start. So you start here, you got to end up here. Here's your trails. Here's your map. Get as far as you can every day. And that shit was that shit was really interesting to me of just about like learning how to vibe with people. Mm. And, you know, I had the only successful meal, by the way, which was I brought some white rice and um, my my meal was the second day. So I brought some vegetables and my dad gave me some teriyaki sauce. So I just had a little pan I put over the fire, hit the vegetables on the pan with that mm. teriyaki real quick and put over some white rice that I made. And, and that was the hit of the trip. But, you know, learning how to work with them kids and everything was real trippy. And David was in that group. So, you know, that's my homie Burner. And, and ever ever since there, man, when he told me he was such a cool kid, um, I was like, man, fuck, I'm going to keep this shit alive, dude. So Hey, listen, you kept your word. Yeah. You kept your word. Yo, speaking of your pops, man, how's your relationship with pops, man? It's cool. So <clears throat> my dad's a cool cat. He's always been cool, but he, he when he was growing up, he was uh, in a boy's home, so he didn't have a dad. And he never really knew how to be a dad to me when I was younger. And, you know, when I was living with him, that's why I said earlier when we were talking, when I moved to from mom's house to dad's house as a kid, it was different. Pops had a studio apartment above the restaurant. No cable. No phone. Um, fucking all we had was uh, one movie in the house on a VHS, which was Goodfellas. Mm, forget him. He's a, yeah, I love him already. Yeah. And um, he would restaurant life. You know, he wasn't around. We'd call him like, we're hungry. Go across the street to Curbside Cafe. They'll give you something. All right, cool. We're hungry. Uh, Uncle Dino downstairs was seeing some food up. So the apartment was on top of, um, you You know, we're in New York. You know how it is. There's restaurants in sure. the neighborhood. The whole neighborhood took care of us. Um, but when I would start ditching school, there was no landline for them to call and tell. There was, motherfucker wasn't checking no mailbox or nothing like that. So it was a big drastic change. Um, Pops wasn't really in my life until my mom died. Mm. And when she passed away, he was just some crazy Panamanian bitch. And I call her bitch because that bitch was a bitch. But um, <laughs> I called her one time. I called my dad and she answered. She's like, what do you want? I'm like, well, my daughter Janelle hurt herself at the park. You know, I wanted to let, let my dad know. Well, he's busy. I'm like, man, can you please pass on the phone? She goes, fuck you. I'm glad your mom died, motherfucker. And he's not going to call you. And I heard him in the background talking shit to her. I texted him. I said, listen, this is the now or never moment. Like, either you ditch this dumbass bitch and you come be with your family and pay attention to what we got going on or I'm cool off you. And he made that switch and he now lives with me mm-hmm. and is the best grandpa ever and the best dad ever. And I think that, like, he came into my life when I needed the most because mm-hmm. I was hurting after mom's died. I was a real mama's boy, like, yeah. really, really, really close. And so the fact that he's a good dad now and that he lives with me at the crib 
and my my daughter's always asking where he is and when's he coming home. She he, he's a chef, makes her her favorite meals, and it's good with my my fiance. I'm like, this shit's dope. You know what's crazy about that shit that sometimes you know, like you look at their fathers. Like sometimes I look at my father, father like he didn't have a father that really like knew how to be a father. So when you say that, I understand that shit hits home for me. But you know, it's like one thing I love is that I hear is that sometimes people who couldn't be the best fathers wind up being the best grandfathers. Yeah, and coming in late in the game, like fuck. I mean, my dad, like, and, and this sounds selfish, but like after watching my mom die, I was scared as fuck to get to know my dad. I mean, I knew him. This is my dad. I've known him my whole life, but I wasn't close. I was like, damn, I want to get close to him and have to go do this again. But I'm so glad I did because it's it's a beautiful relationship for mm. sure. I love hearing it, man. Let me tell you something. You know what? Let's take a, let's take a quick break, man. You know, there's so much to go over. Before we even go to break, I'm going to leave the internet. But I, I love this uh, this uh, number that you gave, that you put $19,000 into uh, cookies. cookies. Yeah. And last year, you guys made about, what, $12.5 million? $12.8. Okay. Excuse me. Be, listen, that's an inspiration story for anybody coming up. That they, that they could do whatever they want. And no knowledge of clothing, fashion, no high school education, just honestly a vision and a Hail Mary investment. And good people around you. Yeah. Listen, uh, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Hopefully Steve LaBelle don't uh, have me on uh, Scott Storch time and gives you a little bit more time to chop it up with me. But No, nah, we we good. I smoked a big fatty before we came in here, so I'm, I'm feeling right. Okay, there it is. Internet, we're sitting here with the one and only, the cannabis capo, uh, the John Gotti of weed, okay? Yes, the boss. Burner. <laughs> Be right back. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, what up, what up, what up? Internets, what up? Internets, what up? Internets, what up? You are now locked in. You tuned in. It's going down. I'm with my brother, my homie, my family, my guy, my Paisan, Premium Pete. It's going down. Don't go nowhere. Stay here. Real talk, real artists, real guests, real conversation, real wine, real side smoking in the um, side room that you can smoke in, real cameramen, real questions. Real everything. Don't fucking go nowhere. Internets, we love you. Premium Peace Show. Ghosts. Internets, and we're back sitting here with Burner, man. Burn, baby, burn. Burn, baby. You know, uh, we, we spoke about, you know, you know be, before we went to break, we spoke about how, you, you know, you put money in investment, a $19,000 investment, mm-hmm. where now, you know, the brand, now just for people listening, the brand is, so the stores, like the dispensaries are called Cookies, right? Yeah, so the dis- the dispensaries are called Cookies and the clothing line is called Cookies. Mm-hmm. Two different businesses. One is just, you know, only for the plant, you know, for the for the herb. And the other is like a lifestyle clothing brand. But my bad. What made us uh, popular <clears throat> was the accessories and the trinkets, the proprietary rolling tray and, you know, the little three divider, like, Bento box for weed for the and those are called cookies, right? That's the brand is called yeah. Brand is called cookies. Smell proof bags, all that stuff. And people need to be in the dispensary, or they could go online and order shit like that. Oh nah, we're in all the Zoomy stores. Really, Um, all six hundred Zoomies were in over a thousand doors total. Um, We're online. We got two flagship stores. I mean, the clothing line is going crazy. Where's the stores located? San Francisco on Hate Street, right Mm -hmm. on Hate Nashbury, and then Seattle. Kind of by Pike's Place, mm-hmm. um, on, on 2nd and Blanchard, right by Belltown. Mm, any more planned to be open? You know, L.A. is about to open up. Um, we have a dispensary opened up in L.A., another one, and we're going to put a clothing store there. And I would love to do Cookies NYC. We've been looking at it. We've been trying to figure it out. We've been trying to gauge if there's an audience for it here. But I feel like New York needs a flagship clothing store. Mm. 
And uh, it would, I think it would like help introduce the brand to NY and prepare for that dispensary. The dispensary is coming soon because I want to I want to be out here for sure. I think listen. I think when that happens, you know, for just for New York, mm-hmm. it's going to be uh, tremendous. You know, well, you guys have already been programmed with the like the delivery dudes on the bikes, and I mean, New York is, I mean, it's one of the biggest cities in the world, and you guys are up on the waves of, you know, Cali Cali branded herb, and I mean, shit could be cracking out here. You know, you spoke about the clothing line, you know, and I've seen it around cookies. I've seen cookie crew necks. I think I've seen cookie mm-hmm. teas. Um, you know, what did you know about, like, you know, the clothing business? Nothing. Okay. Nothing. See, that's even more amazing. I knew nothing about it. I started out with T-shirts, but, you know, I'm a big dude, and I could only fit in a few brands. So mm-hmm. my whole thing was, like, look, I want to do clothing that I could rock. Like, I want zip-up jackets. I want, like, bomber jackets. I want, um, you know, all kind of, like, dope-ass. I want everything. I want. Mm-hmm. We came out with dope cutting, so. And for those that know about streetwear, or street streetwear brands know that cut and sew is not cheap, sure. and it's not easy, and there's no profit margins in it. But we did it just to make sure we're a dope ass brand. Like Cookie's got to have that shit. Mm. You know, you you speak about you know not knowing something, right? Even in the even in the weed business, right? You know, or the what's the what's the correct name for the, what? What do you call it? I call it the game, mm. but um, you know, marijuana business, weed business. Even in the marijuana business, you know, it's like. How hard is it to like say say you know navigate when you don't know everything you know because now it's like you look back and you're you're smarter and smarter and mm-hmm. smarter, but in the beginning did you feel like you know like damn like you know maybe I don't belong here or I don't know you know something that the next person don't know you know what I mean? The only thing I think I fucked up on was um, by trusting people too much and licensing out my shit. Mm. So you know you license out your strain and you enable someone to grow it. And you license out your logo and your name and your likeliness to somebody because you're getting a brown bag every month, not knowing that that person could build something so big with that and you not be a part of it. That's the only thing I think that I didn't know about was that you want to try to own your own shit. I should have treated it like music. I should own my own catalog. I should have built from the ground up. But, you know, there's pros and cons. At least people were able to see my brand in stores and be able to see, like, the quality of product being grown from our genetics and whatnot. So, you know, with pros comes cons. Mm. So that's the only thing I didn't really know about was the licensing aspect. But now I know it, and I completely mastered it. And I've been giving a lot of people advice and shit, moving me and on my own too. Mm. Now. It, it, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's amazing. But when you think about even like working with music, right, and all the artists that you collabed with, right? Mm-hmm. Now we spoke about that you have 31 albums. <laughs> How were you dropping fucking how, how did this happen to have 31 albums Um shit bro I just worked hard and You know being a Latin rapper Is not easy um, What do you mean by that Meaning just that like people don't know How to define you They don't know um, I was once told for radio in the Bay Area I was not black enough for 106 KML I was not Latin enough for 94.9 I said well what the fuck does that mean I'm a person hmm. I make music. I sell out shows with 8,700 people in the city. Like, y'all ain't recognizing me. At least shout out my album when it comes out. Or at least come bring me up and talk about some of the moves I've been making. It's crazy. So being a Latin artist, it's not easy, you know? I mean, especially a rapper. It's not easy. They, I'm not your typical stereotypical um, 
Latin artists. They stereotype Latin artists. They're stocks up to the knees, True. bald heads, True. you know, vato loco. I'm a, I'm a urban. My bad for saying that for before. Oh yeah, nah. <laughs> nah, I'm playing not. around. I'm just saying. Um, but you know, but that they 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 portray you and they want you to be a certain look, and that's not. I'm mm. just a Latin kid, man. With mm. you know, more urban. Um, but I worked extra hard to get these albums done and to be noticed. And I used the group project method real to my advantage. So, you know, me and Jacka got three albums, rest in peace. And me and Be Real got three albums, mm. rest in peace. Legendary. Me and um, Ampacino got two albums. That's eight right there. You know what I'm saying? Me and Styles P got one. That's nine. Mm. You know, I did one, um, two with Messi Marv. That's 11. And then, you know, I did about five or seven solos before I did, you know, this and did that. And so... The group album thing really makes it, you move. You know, me and Cameron got a project. So, mm. you know, you just... Is that dropping? It's out. Okay. Yeah, Contraband uh, with me and Cameron came out in 2014 or 15, I think. Mm. So you put me on and somebody else on. What about yeah. uh, I, what about Kevin Gates? I heard you have an album mm-hmm. with him, uh, possibly. Yeah, so not all the way confirmed, but, you know, Gates um, reached out to me for the Light Show record. Well, not for the record. He reached out to Link Up and then naturally came that record. And then um, we were on FaceTime the other day. He said, Burn, like, I'll fuck with you. You got a certain vibe to you. And, and you know, I haven't looked back at the record we made or looked at the response, but I know the vibe is there. And I want to do a five-song EP with you. We're going to knock that shit out. And I'm like, damn, that would be fucking dope. Mm. That boy Kevin Gates. When's the first time you met Wiz Khalifa? Um, I think I met him in 2009, mm. I think. Mm. Yeah. And where'd you meet him? Cannabis Club. Okay. Yeah. And and y'all just hit it off and became friends, or yeah, Mister Fab hit me up, told me Wiz wanted to roll through, and I wasn't too familiar on him. And I said, "Cool, yeah, I'm coming through. I ain't tripping, you know. I'll hook him up." And he came through, and the first thing he said is like, "I hope you're smoking." I'm like, "Yes, yeah, actually, a weed lounge in a club." Well, I hope you ain't smoking no blunts. And I pulled up like a baby arm joint, big ass one. It's like, damn, okay. And we smoked, and I got him high, and you know, I I, I really vibe with his crew, and. um he came back in town about a month later, and I said, yo, I want to bring something out to you, a gift. I want to bring it out on stage, too. He's like, okay. And I kind of wondered what it is. And I put a um, like a six-foot fully budded plant inside of a big-ass U-Haul moving box. Mm. Pulled up to the Fillmore on Fillmore in Geary in San Francisco. Hopped out the U-Haul truck with a big-ass box. And, and I was kind of popping at that time in the Bay, for sure. People honking their horns. I'm walking, like, waddling down the street with this big-ass box, and I opened up that box. There's a blog of it. Um, you could put maybe a burner with Khalid. I think I've seen it. I think I've seen it for sure. And so I brought him a plant, and that's when he realized, like, damn, this dude's a boss. This mm. motherfucker brought me a six-foot plant, all this different weed, new technology. We had the vape pens before anyone ever had them. I was just bringing him things he's never seen before, and I think he fucked with it. We started vibing as homies, and as kicking it as homies, he noticed how, how hard I was working. So I was chilling with him in 2009, and I think I dropped five albums in 2009. Mm. And when I dropped this album in 2010, the White Album, um, I believe that's when um, he was featured on that song, Yoko. Mm-hmm. He was like, when are you going to join the team? Like, what's up? You work hard as fuck. So I was like, I'm with it. And it's cool because I fund all my own projects. I put them all out. Um, he, he supports me on every album as far as doing a dope-ass record with me. He embraces me when he has the time to, but he lets me do me, and there's no monitoring on when, how, and what I do. For people listening who may not know who Burner is, yeah, what would you say your music, like, what are you talking about? 
Um, I would feel like I preach to the streets. Um, a lot of people glorify selling dope. A lot of people glorify, you know, the drug game and the dope game. Um, I'm preaching to people too that could that could relate to me. I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there that sell weed, um, but more importantly, sell drugs and and have had hard times in life. A lot of my music is is storytelling that's not like the most positive or the brightest stories, you know. Like, there's it's like real struggle rap. And the thing I hear most when I'm out and about, and I hear this all the time, is you've got me through some hard ass times. Mm. I really relate to your shit. You motivate the fuck out of me. And I think that letting people see me as an artist, like start cookies in my garage and print it up and pull the strings through the hoodies and send them out from my house to, you know, showing the progress of... I documented everything and let them be a part of it. I never acted like I was too big for nobody. I think them growing with me makes people juice. So I think we speak to an audience that is, you know, neglected right now. Everyone's sure. making this turn up club music and about whipping up a brick and... You know, you know, I just let the trap and all this like shit that's just like super like it sounds great. It's great music, it's gonna do well, but the shit I, I do just hits home for a lot of people out there that's just not being catered to. I sure. Think. Message. The message is being delivered. Yeah. You know, uh being of somebody who smokes weed, you know, and, and a connoisseur at smoking mm-hmm. weed, who has been some of your heroes that you wanted to smoke with? Um, or have smoked with. Right? Yeah, you know definitely I mean? like be real. I mean, like when I hooked up with Be Real from Cypress Hill, we got high as fuck. Like we got stoned and vibed out a lot. Um, you know, I still haven't got high with Bone yet. That's that's the next. Mm-hmm. Bone Thugs and Harmony is the next. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna see him. Steve's got to make that happen. Well, we gonna see him on Saturday. We got a show together. <clears throat> okay, the same spot. Um, of course, Currency, um, Snoop. Fuck, dude. I, okay, let me ask him. Does anybody smoke more than Snoop? Ooh. Um, Randomly, Bay Area, Yuck Mouth. You know who Yuck Mouth is no. from the Loonies? I got five on it. Okay, of course, of course. He smokes blunts back to fucking back. Mm. He he smokes a lot. Um, Wiz smokes a lot, too. Mm. Um, Snoop smokes a lot. But they're smoking blunts, man. Wiz smokes joints. I think that the 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 biggest smoker I've ever got high with mm. was B-Real. Mm. Why sm- you say that for? I mean, he's smoking joints. Which is just like straight to the point, and that motherfucker burns back to back to back to back to back to back. My tolerance is as high as it is because of be real. Mm. Yeah, that mm. motherfucker gets high. And Wiz too. Wiz is somebody that can smoke like crazy too. Yeah, Wiz smokes like crazy, but you know, not to disc- not to discredit my boy, my dog, but he only smokes one strain of weed, mm. so he's comfortable with it, and his tolerance is built up to it. And you see my bag when we was you know in the break yeah. room. Um, I have assortments, and each weed gets you a different feeling. So I just smoked some limoncello to bring me up a little bit, but I'm going to smoke some gelato to bring me down. And I smoked so many different varieties that if I were to burn these with Wiz, he calls it thug weed. Okay. He's going to be, like, going to nai for sure. So you create—so you so just for people listening who may not know, okay, because mm-hmm. a strain is what? A strain is like a genetic. It's like so it's, a, it's almost like a person. Mm-hmm. You know how you have your own characteristics. Sure, sure. You know, you look a certain way, you move a certain way, but you might have a brother or a sister that has the same genetics, but it's just totally different. Um, a strain is is literally like a person. Mm. So you, so you're like almost like a, a chef because you're you're help growing these strains and then and then you know making them come to life. Yeah, I more help facilitate what we think we should breed, and I design menus and I'm a curator and a menu master. So. Um, I got three brands, Cookies, Exotics, and Lemonade. And Lemonade is more of a sativa-based menu. 
And I went for flavor with that because so, a lot. A so lot of, what 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 uh, strain is that you talk about? So lemonade is the original strain. Okay. But the brand is now lemonade. Okay. So fuck just being put in a box, which is one strain. Lemonade had one of the most unique and smells and tastes. It's like a lemon diesel, like not like a Jack Herrera lemon, but a very pungent, like citrusy lemon. And long story short, I took that lemon and I crossed it with like 40 things. Mm. And so I designed a menu based off that one strain that would bring out so much characteristics in other strains. So lemonade with the cherry pie is limoncello. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Lemon sherb is a sorbet. Mm. Lemonade with their sunset sherbet. We have lemonade with the wedding cake. Um, we have lemon cookies, lemon gelato. It just it comes it comes out different every time. And so we design menus, man. We we curate that palette. We curate for that palette for sure. It's amazing, man. You like a you you like a fucking caterer. You know, let me ask you, <laughs> how how hard is it for uh, an average cat that sells weed now to get uh, you know legit into owning uh, you know business into the marijuana business? It's not easy. A lot of cats are growing a lot of weed and they can't sell it. You know, um, people want that hype shit, that branded shit. They want that shit that people talk about. Same like clothing and sneakers. I mean, when celebrities rock or talk about something or when it's somewhere and that's, you know, in the influencer's hand, it's wanted. A lot of cats are selling their pounds right now for motherfucking like $1,200, $800, dollars That's unheard of. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I, my shit still goes for 3600 or four racks. I've mm. maintained our price this whole time. Mm. In the most competitive market in the world, without being, you know, we're not, I'm not trying to be greedy, but it's just that you got to keep the high standards. I'm not going to let the fuck I'm going to do. I'm, I'm from the weed game. I'm not going to sell no fucking pound for fucking $800. Mm. What the fuck are we doing here? Yeah. I said it in one of my songs um, in 2014 or 15. How's it go? And it's, I said, uh, cat selling shit for two, I'd rather push cream. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to sell no pound for two. Now, look at this, 800, 1,200, fuck that. Mm -mm. You know, you, you, your mom, when did your mom's pass away? Uh, she passed away in 2010. You know, um, were you still trying to figure out what you wanted to do at that time? Or you were already kind of establishing yourself? No, nah, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I just wasn't, like, financially there to be able to do that. Mm. You know, what I'm doing now, it took a long time to get there. I was still struggling. And when you when I was in the game still... And, um, you know, it was fucked up because I kept investing my money in music, but it's hard to, like, it's hard to, like, f take care of the family and, and to be a responsible man But when you're investing all your money in music and the music wasn't really paying off. And so it's weird. But um, when my mom passed away, I kind of had to step away from the game because I told you my daughter was my number one priority. Sure, sure. But that's when the rap money started coming in for me. Mm. It's weird. As soon as I had to stop. So I had to walk away, and this is before all this crazy legal shit now, which is going to turn into a good amount of money, but the rap really came back full circle. What do you mean legal shit? Like the recreational weed business. Oh, okay. Because my mom died. It was still a gray area. Medical feds would fucking fuck you. It wasn't legal anywhere yet. You know, was, so. was, she, uh, was she concerned about what you were going to do with your life at that time? Um, nah, she told me when I dropped out. She goes, look, I don't know why you dropped out. You're my son. You have a you have a purpose here. I don't know what it is that um you're gonna do, but I know whatever you're doing is for a better purpose. So, I have faith in in you and whatever you do, and I hope that what you're doing is just temporary for a bigger dream. And I just kept that saying. She embraced me. She was like not holding me back, and she knew that I was doing what I was I was doing for a reason. And you know, mom, you're looking down. You're right because 
here I am today, and you know, people are offering me hundreds of millions of dollars for my company, which would not be here if I didn't push and advocate for weed this whole time. So smart lady. You know, you, you it's crazy though, but uh, your mom's got to be, uh, you know, definitely proud of you because you think about it. You, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, somebody that uh, could, uh, you know, create not only for themselves, but other people. Yeah. You know, you've created jobs for other people and, and, and also help people get through shit with your music, but also help people get through shit with your strains. Yeah, because think about this. Um, <clears throat> the dude I just blessed with that bag. Yeah. He's going to go somewhere tonight. He's going to roll that shit up. And it's going to impact his night. And meaning, like, when he smokes my herb that we put on the market, he's either going to go have dinner or chill, his mood is going to be affected by that, which means we're a part of someone's life without even being a part of their life. That's pretty trippy when you think about it. You know, weed opens up your mind. It makes you feel good. It, you might use it when you're stressed. You might use it to get happy. You might use it to work out. You might use it to uh, make music or get creative. You might use it to, to unwind after your day. But point being is it's a part of your day. It's a part of your life. So shit goes deeper than, than people really understand. Mm. What's next for Burnham, man? I want to get in the film, man. Mm. Is it true you wrote a, a screenplay or something like that? Yeah, um, you ever heard of that movie Imperium? Mm -hmm. So the the writer and director from Imperium, um, which for people that aren't that might not know, listening, it was uh, the main character from Harry Potter played a federal informant in the neo Nazi um, in the neo Nazi game. We wrote a movie called Pax, mm. and Pax to me is blow mixed with dead presidents mixed with belly. And that's about the rise of designer weed in all these markets like New York, Virginia, Houston, Atlanta, whatnot. When these, when this California weed was hitting these states, it was like Coke money, the margins. And it's based on a true story, and it's it's some real underground, gritty, D-boy, Bay Area shit. Mm. Dope. You know, what's uh, if, if you had to think about it, what would you say is like one of the most difficult decisions you had to make to get here? Mm sacrificing time with my kid and my family, mm. you know, knowing that every time I leave, my kid gets really sad and, you know, she gets, she's just going through it when I'm not there and missing out on quality of life because all I do is work, sure. you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's a decision I made, but, you know, sometimes I sit back and be like, damn, I wish this work, I miss working at a bar or at a restaurant, getting off work at a normal hour, smoking some weed and watching TV and being a human. Because I'm on pure robot. Mm. And not only do I own 13 businesses, but I really work and run every one of those motherfuckers. From the clothing line, I come up with the concepts, the inspiration uh, for all the designs that's coming. I approve everything. I approve the samples of the clothing. For the paper company, I mean, all the R&D, the design, for the water, for the um, for the herb, for the music. I, you know, for the most part, do all my I do everything myself. How do you balance your time? One of the biggest things is that's even you know something that is very hard for people to find time to be productive. Yeah, it's um, it's hard. I just I use my Instagram kind of like real estate, and I look around. I'm like, okay, what's missing out of here? What am I not promoting? What a, I look at my my day. What am I not working on? So I don't really have a lot of time to really balance i just somehow i know what needs attention and i may be spread thin on some of the companies but i've been i've been able to keep up workaholic workhorse you know uh is it true you turned down 800 million dollars to buy your companies <laughs> yeah did you hold on one second because i got to think about this for a second how the fuck did did, did you just say no or you said let me think about it and get uh, back because how uh, do you make a decision to say yeah, no i mean look it still fucks with me i mean i had to think about it for a while but 
I'll give you I'll give you guys some game because this is such a good interview. I never really talk about business like this, but I want people out there to be motivated, and I want people out there to know that like the, the first deal is not the best deal. Mm. I cannot wait to wait to write my book about it. I mm. want to write a you book. You should. I'm gonna write a book called The Best Deal. And so, all right, I get offered eight hundred million dollars for cookies in general, the whole thing, but a lot of it's stock from a Canadian LP, a private Canadian company that's on the stock market. Um, I looked at it like this if the first deal I got was 800 million bucks and it's mostly stock and the stock game could be like great and then drop um, and everyone's going public right now what 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 would happen if I turned it down that that dead air makes me pretty pretty much a boss to do that so instead of taking 800 million I took 10 million dollars in cash for 10% of my company as a friends and family round to invest into infrastructure. And the next round we're doing, we're evaluated at $400 million, and mm. I'll probably take a small investment at that. I'm going to build it up. And while everyone else is getting bought out right now with Canadian stock, they may win. But I'm in it to get cashed out for real because I don't want some stock. I don't want to have to learn how to sell stock or wait and, and play that game. I want one of the big alcohol companies when it's time to come cash me the fuck out. As they should. I want Heineken to come cash me out. I want Southern Wine to come cash me out. I want them to come with that check because mm. they got it. Mm. Constellation just put $400 million into uh, Canopy um, up there in, in Canada. They put a check. Well, they could have came and bought me for four. No, I'm sorry. I'm high as fuck. $4 billion. Mm. Canopy just got $4 billion. We're talking about a publicly traded company in, in Canada that doesn't have the most revenue. I think the revenue was negative a lot or whatever it was. They don't have hella money. They just have the brands. Mm. So I'm building a house of brands. It's mm. going to be like Facebook. And when they come, they're going to have to buy us. And they're gonna. And I would much rather a constellation come give me $4 billion. I'll look at that $800 million like, thank God I didn't do it. Or maybe I won't, but that's that's the risk I was willing to take. Hey, listen, that's uh, when you really think about that shit. That's that that's okay. Yes, but what what you know? You're in for the long haul. I'm in it for the long haul, and I felt like we would a lot of we would have lost a lot of control if we took that eight hundred. Mm, mm. It's out of my hands if I sell it. Sure. What what you know? Growing up, you know, you, you hustled a lot. Even just working regular jobs, you spoke about. But uh, what's something over the time that you bought with your own money that you felt like wow? Like, n- n- not the dumb shit. You can mention the dumb shit, but what's not something my house? You- okay, yeah, yeah, my house. Yeah, my house is dope. I mm. put a lot of money into it. It feels good. Mm. It's mine. Mm. I own it for sure. I could build a crazy paranoid bunker with cement and steel and air. <laughs> I could do whatever the fuck I want to do. It's my house. It's tight mm. for sure. What's the best thing you like about your house? That my daughter's fucking happy as hell there. There you go. She loves her room and she loves the vibe over there and she's just she loves her house and that's that's all I wanted. Now you ever get to a point where you uh, you know because you seem like somebody who's very level headed where you, like you may have spent some money foolishly. You ever you, you know it's funny because I think of you like I, I love your taste like and I said this even to Scott Storch and and shouts to Scott you know I know you did a, a, a whole album. Shouts to Scott, it's my brother for sure. You know um, you know actually. What, what what does somebody like Scott Storch working with mean? You know, like what what, what did that mean to you? I feel like I was working with Dr. Dre, mm. <laughs> but even better. 
because I was able to kick it with him and he's a human sample. I tell him, yo, flip me this. He'll make it right there on the spot 10 times better. No one will ever know what we flip. With the cigarette in the hand. With the joint and a cigarette in the hand. Absolutely. Yeah. But but back to what I was saying with you, you know, when you think about, um, you, you know, money, um, sometimes, you know, like, like I told Scott and like I'm telling you, man, it's like, I feel like you, you guys like know, like you can't buy fresh. You can't buy like classy shit. Yeah. I got like you sit down, order a five pound lobster, yeah. bring out the best wine. You can't, even though you could buy it, it, it takes a lot to know about it. Yeah. You know? Did you ever uh, spend some money on some shit where you're like, what the fuck am I doing here? It's on my neck right now. Okay. Yeah. Fucking, Talk about it. You know, I spent 50000 on this chain right here, on, mm. the, on the goat chain. Mm. And I bought it right before I came to New York, but it was it's a great investment. It's been a topic of conversation and, you know. Why'd you buy a goat chain? Um, Just to kind of shit on competition a little bit, you know. Mm. The people mm. trying to swagger jack right now, let them know you're dealing with the goat. And anytime you choose to try to play me, you're coming against the goat. That has many, you know, many things up my sleeve. Um, and I felt like, you know, I ain't spoiled myself. I just paid $2.8 million in taxes. Mm. Clear, damn near clear my Sam. bank account. You know Uncle what I mean? Sam, and, man. I, I did that. I was like, I'm definitely going to drip myself up. And now I kind of regret it. But, you know, at the end of the day, bro, rappers got to do rapper shit sometimes. You know, I remember you saying that, uh, you know, listening to um, that the uh, feds used to pull you off uh, the plane and shit mm-hmm. like that. Uh, what, why was that? Like, is that just because of, like, were you growing up in the <laughs> Bay and knowing you? Or? I was working for one of the, you know, first uh, dispensary. I was working for a big dispensary in Northern California, and they were watching it. And they're watching my owner, and they thought I was just bringing cash back and forth. Mm. Or, you know, I can't really, I don't really know what, what tipped them on, but my lawyer uh, told me, like, they got a hard on for you. So if you are, were doing anything, I'd recommend that you don't do it. Mm. That's that. I love this album. It's called Rico. Yeah. And uh, I, I love it most importantly because it's Italian shit that, 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 you know, growing up, a Rico case was never good, man. But, uh, you it's know. It's not. Yeah. I've tried to scare the homie straight with this album. Mm. What's this? What's this album talking about, man? Rico, man, who's on it? You know, I got a, uh, I got Bone Thugs and Harmony. I got DJ Paul, DJ Quick. I got, um, I got the Jack of Rest in Peace. I got a uh, Cameron, Jim Jones, Cocaine, Kevin Gates, mm. uh, Chronics from Jamaica. I got a lot of people. Albums talking about where I'm at in life right now in business. Um, you know, real life shit. You know, motherfuckers talking too much on the internet and showing their every move and their plays. Album got a lot of good content on there. I think I covered all bases. It's good body of work. Twenty four records on there. So, mm. Mm. internet's need to fuck with that man. Let me tell you something. I want the internet's listening to. If you're ever in San Francisco, if you're ever in Seattle. Well, first of all, just where, where could they go uh, on? You know, was Instagram? Uh, you know, you're on there, or it's multiple different accounts. Yeah, so Instagram is real simple. Uh, Burner four one five B E R N E R four one five. Um, that's Instagram and Twitter. Hit me up, man. If you're ever in the Bay, pull up to the Cookie Store on Hay Street. Um, if you're in L A, pull up to Cookies Melrose, um, Cookies Maywood, and, and come fuck with your boy, man, for real. Mm. You know, when you when you sit back and you think about it, right? I mean, what do you want the Burner legacy to be? I just want to live forever. So when I pass away, I want people to still enjoy my herb, uh, listen to my music. Um, I just want to be kind of like how Pablo Escobar is, even though he wasn't positive. His picture still over the his face all over the walls of Columbia. How John Lennon is still looked at, Jimi Hendrix, how Pac. You know, I may not be known for my music, but if I could be known for something I created or put in the world, and it could still be used when I'm gone, and people are like, oh, that's you know, so and so. That that's the goal. You know, what's the highest that you ever been, bro? Um, 
probably would um, Wiz Khalifa and Juicy J off a, off a bong hit with some hash. What? Yeah. You know what's so funny? I was actually going to ask you that. What was it like being in the studio with Wiz and Juicy J? And it's so funny that you fucking, what the yeah, fuck? Nah, this guy's I mean, reading shit, my mind over here. It was crazy. I mean, we we just took a bong rip with some hash in it, and Wiz went to take a nap, and me and Juicy J were like really awkwardly quiet in the room. I looked over at him. He looked over at me. He's like, man, I fucking got to call the fucking ambulance. I feel high as fuck. I'm like, God damn it. I feel the same fucking way, too. <laughs> and he was like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, man. My fucking heart's beating through my fucking chest. He's like, oh, fuck. This is fucked. And we were just both venting to each other, like, how bad we felt. And it ended up going away. And I don't know why, because it was not the most weed I've ever smoked. But it's just a weird, weird high. It was weird. Mm. I know you mentioned uh, that uh, people edibles. It's funny with edibles, and because you know what's funny about edibles. I know you mentioned that they sell really well, um, but the crazy thing about edibles is people don't respect edibles. And what I mean by that is, so many times you hear somebody say like, "Yo, I took two, nothing happened, so I took another another one." <laughs> like, <laughs> like why do people like that's like, it's like people know the law with those shits like of how it works. Yeah, I, I'm not taking no edibles because it's a body high and you can't turn that off really easily. Mm. You're gonna feel that shit all through your body where you're not used to feeling that. Speaking of Sean Price, I remember he was in L.A. talking about uh, uh um you know I was dying laughing. He told me the story that he was on a plane, he took an edible, and he couldn't stop scratching. He wanted to rip his whole arm off, <laughs> and he was he was he, bugging. He felt that shit. You, you, now I know you mentioned that you had to bring some people to like hospitals and shit like that. Yeah, a couple popular artists. Mm. Some mm. might be off from this way too. Mm. But yeah, okay, hey. sad. they had to go to the hospital off that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I told them don't go, but they had to go. You know, you, you know, as we wind this episode down, you you, you mentioned your daughter, um, and you said she's eleven years old. You know, and I, growing up and being somebody who's so passionate about the Wii game and being out there, like like somebody like me, like. You know, it's a little bit different than somebody in the Bay Area or where weed is legal. Yeah. Would you be okay if she was smoking weed when she got older? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. If she, you know, she's on the right track and she's not on some bullshit and she's not, like, just not doing something with her life. But, um, of course, I'd be okay with it because, you know, I think it's a, it's a great thing. And I'd rather her be open with me or anything sure. she does. And I'd rather her be a smoker than a drinker or doing stupid drugs. And already at 11-year-old, she she has her own clothing line, and she does a lot of community work and gives back to people and, and brings kids to fucking Giants games and does cool shit with, with her mom and with, with her company. And she's a little star on her own, but it's a positive-ass message. She She's preaching women equality and stuff like that at 11 years old. So she smokes weed. She's going to be on some genuine hippie shit. She's mm. not going to be dirtbagging and getting bad sure. grades. And if she isn't, she's I'll get on her head about it. But, yeah, I wouldn't mind at all. You know, you, you mentioned we spoke about, uh, you know, um, being a separated dad. Mm -hmm. uh, is it, I know she lives with you, right? Yeah, or my she, daughter, she, she, um, she shares, to, you know, and I moved um, her mom a couple blocks away. And it's perfect. She can walk to my house. I go, mm. you know, fucking the, the goals <laughs> yeah now that's a good that's a good separation sometimes it's hard if somebody goes a little bit far farther farther away yeah. but um you know i will say this if any advice i could give you know you're i mean she's 11 so it's like you're almost there i'm only on seven years or more than you but um you know you spoke about not being there all the time and and, and the the best thing that you could ever do is i feel like that has worked for me is is just your presence and and I oh, always yeah. say that you know I met like I always use this example uh you know I sat down with Lil Boozy before me in combat rest in peace and I remember him saying like yo when I was locked up uh you know my kids had iPads they had iPhones they had this, and I was like but Boozy didn't have you yeah and he understood what I meant and I always preach 
uh, and tell people, uh, and, and people live this lifestyle. I love that I'm able to put this out there for years is presence over presence because the present, your presence will be the best gift. Like hard just being around you oh, will be man. worth it's, more than it's it. And it's actually, it's, it's what keeps me balanced, you know? So we have a lot of great memories and every time I'm in town, we, we spend that quality time together and she actually stays in my house a little more than her mom's, which is cool. Mm. And we we do vacations every year to Hawaii where we go for two weeks and we just digest and really enjoy each other's times. And that's my homie, for real, mm. best mm. friend. That's beautiful, man. Blessings to you with that. Listen, uh, somebody's listening now who, uh, you know, wants to start a business or maybe is, uh, you know, uh, you know, not sure what to do or confused or smoking weed and be like, yo, I need to fucking to do something more with my life than what I'm doing. What's some advice you would have for them? Man, invest in yourself. Put your own money behind yourself and, you know, anything is possible. And if you're going to, you know, if you want to do something, do it. You know, there's nothing to it but to do it. I didn't know anything about clothes. I didn't know anything about water. I didn't know anything about any, a lot of the companies I have now. It's something I wanted to do. I took my money and I put it into it and I've seen it through. And if you're going to do it, start it, see it through. Mm. Let me tell you something, man. Uh, I said it before. I'll say it again. You're a, a, a classy but creative dude. I, I, I love that that we're going to leave the internet with a quote that says, if, you know, there's nothing to it but to do it, you know? That's it, man. You just got to do that shit, bro. You got mm. to, you know, be creative, be innovative, and, and don't be scared to, to put your money behind yourself because once you do it, you're going to feel that pressure and you're going to fucking work hard. Mm. Shouts to my brother Steve Wilbell. Uh, shouts to the Bay Area. Shouts to the Bay Area, San Francisco, California stand-up. Shouts to all the Burner fans, and I hope that uh, they appreciate that they get to know a little bit more about Burner. Yeah, you know, for the for the Burner fans that listen and to the people that haven't listened, I told I told my brother here some things I've never told anybody. So, uh, mm. you know, I hope you enjoy the knowledge. Mm. Burner, all the best to you. Much love, my Peace, brother. Peace, brother. Yes, sir. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Again, that email is thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on the Premium Peach Show? Email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com and let's get working. Okay? Make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms or podcasts. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And we'll see you next episode. Cheer.